It's happening! Hi yo! Hello, Babylonians! Hey! Welcome wait. back to Bloody Babbles Podcast! <laughs> <laughs> yeah! <laughs> <laughs> episode is brought to you by restaurant.com. With restaurant.com, you can save at thousands of restaurants across the country with just a few clicks. Their dining deals range from $5 to $100, never expire, and cost you a fraction of the face value. Dinner has never been easier with restaurant.com, used for dine-in, takeout, or delivery. Restaurant.com is offering our listeners 50% off their next purchase by going to www.restaurant.com restaurant.com slash podcast. That's www.restaurant.com slash podcast for 50% off your next purchase. Restaurant.com, the best deal every meal. (laughs) We're recording a little later than usual, so we might sound a little delirious a bit no and it's really not even late it's just it's not late but daylight so savings time is really fucked with it's, me it's so crazy dark it, when i went to my mom's day i was like uh, how is it this dark at seven like this like, is i know the world is just a fickle fickle thing whatever i, I can't I remember who decided daylight saving time i know not arizona no arizona's like we do what we want yeah. so i wonder if they're if they're correct now or if they're wrong arizona are you out there hey. hello there, We've got listeners be, there. Lauren, right. Lauren, you listen. Tell me. Tell me your secrets. Hey, they're good. their timing is great because everybody goes by the timing. It doesn't matter. <laughs> well, I know, but like they don't move their clocks an hour forward ahead. So I don't know when it's right. But, but it's right. Wherever you live, if huh. you move your clocks or. That's fair. You're supposed to. Oh, but anyway, point know. being, though, like, I think we all say this every single year. I'm yeah. Like, oh, Usually I'm like, oh, I get an extra hour of sleep. But then my kid, my kid, the one who likes to sleep in, <laughs> been up at 7.15 every day. <laughs> He's been with his dad all th- this whole weekend, so it's been quiet. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks. <laughs> I told him I talked about him in the last episode, and he's like, why are you talking about me? I'm like, you're right, well, we hate each other. Because your sister loves you. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> no, like I said, we do get along really well. We just, we're just really good-ass co-parents. Yes, yes, you and are. And we both need each other because our son is the devil. He's not the devil. He is the devil, but he's so cute. That, oh, that's her dog. That's <laughs> my, my oh, grand, man. that's my grand puppy. That's true. She just became an auntie, too. Her sister, Akira, that my friend Megan has, just had three little puppers. Congrats, Akira. And she's keeping this one little boy, and he's so cute. Oh, my God. I may, I may have to steal pictures. I always say that, oh, I'm going to post this in the episode, and then I never remember to do it. <laughs> or on Instagram. Notes. Notes. I just need to start taking notes. Notes, notes. here. Puppy. Okay, whoever was drawing circles. Puppy. And you have no idea what I was talking about. Oh, that was not me. You got a ghost drawing from That's a little unsettling. Perfect circle. So, we... Oh, we are six states away. Six states away from being in all 50 states. <gasps> hey. Six. Hey. So if you have friends in Delaware. Yes. Connecticut. Nope. Maine. Maybe. <laughs> Montana. <laughs> no, I don't even know if I know anyone in Delaware. Wyoming. <laughs> and Hawaii. Hey. Everybody's like, oh, what about Alaska? Or I think it was Avery last time. Alaska. I'm like, no, we have like seven different, six or seven cities in Alaska. I'm like, what? Hey, we love it. We love I know. It. I love you. 
I love all 44 of you <coughs> and the District of Columbia. There's someone there too. Um, and we've added two interna more international countries, Finland. Hey, I don't know Drea, how to is Finnish. Yes. That is my nephew, in case you don't know. There's a lot of them, and you guys are probably like, you guys have so many fucking kids. Be like, bruh, just <laughs> real. wait till we're all in the same place at we the same time. That pull-out game. <laughs> well, it ain't really a game. You lose. You lose. <laughs> or you win, however you win. <laughs> you win. A lot of little humans. Christmas is expensive. But anyways, um, yeah, Finland, so hello. I don't know how to say hello in Finnish, so... Hi. Oh, Joe. Um, and then uh, Brazil, Yay! and that is it was actually another fellow podcaster. It's um, uh, Gabe and Lara. They are from Two Twenty Somethings Pod. They talk about like things about for twenty somethings. She's in college. He's already graduated college. He lives in Brazil. She lives in Arkansas, I believe. Um, I just started listening to their podcast. They're on Anchor too. You can find them anywhere podcasts are found. So go check them out. Yes, um, then what's their thing again? Twenty something. Two twenty something. Yeah, they're pretty. They're just super. They're super fun. Uh, and he's got a uh, he's got a Brazilian accent. Like, how do you not want to listen to that? Oh, that's like my sister in Brazil, Carla. You need to listen. We're gonna send her just this episode and be like <sighs> that little snippet. <laughs> <laughs> but so yeah so we added those so we're now in 29 countries which Dude. is bonkers bananas i i post it every time every time we get a new one as soon as like as soon as i'm done posting it then i text jonah and i'm like <laughs> and i'm pretty sure i say it that i've said it I've okay, hold on. I'm fine. It's been a it's been a week, man. It's been a week. It's been a weekend. Um I'm gonna take my contacts out tonight, so good I typed out my notes for the story that we're gonna talk about or the case. Cause this lady's crazy. But yeah, my my eyeballs hurt. I need to go see my eye doctor and get new contacts. Ha huh. But so this episode is brought to you by our friend Nate. Thanks, Nate. He's on Twitter. He, um, he, like I said, he suggested four different cases. So this is first of four. Um, I've got those right at the top of our list. Our friend Lauren has another one about a case I'd never heard about. Thanks, Lauren. Yeah. So we haven't forgot about you guys. So I'm just getting my life together and getting notes. And so we're going to be, and we're going to be. Um, I'm cheering her on. Don't think I'm not doing anything. <laughs> I'm cheering her fucking ass on. <laughs> and I'm like, ooh, this way. And sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes I don't like telling her what we're going to talk about. She I don't, never tells me. No, it's ever. Favorite. It's always a surprise. And sometimes she's like, oh, I've heard of this. Or, oh, my God, why are you doing this to me? And then I she's the latter. And then she cries. Mm -hmm. I don't know if this one will make you cry. It's a little, I don't know. It's a little more aggravating than oh. I think anything else. I'm good at getting but, aggravated. So. Yeah. So, um, but um, there, before I jump into it, um, uh, oh, God. Words are hard. Words, words, words. Oh, my God. Fight it now. Go find your words. Why are you slipping on your paper? Sorry. Okay. Oh my god, I'm fine. <laughs> I was gonna say something now, I forgot what. Oh, we're gonna be working on Patreon episodes. That's happening very soon, like literally this week. And then um so those will get posted and I know we only have one Patreon donor, so if you wanna be a donor, you gotta go donate so you can get these extra bonus things. Yes, yes, yes. It's a boner bonus. You're welcome. Boner, a boner yes. bonus. Boner bonus. <laughs> so, 
let's uh, and then um i'm also going to be um, adding a couple promos of my other podcast pals i added um have you seen it and infinite banter last week so i'll have i've got another couple so enjoy those yes go give them a listen give them a like Give yes. them a review. I just yes. spit everywhere. Also, review us. Yeah, please. review us. Rate and review because you, Nicole. Okay, hold on. Well, My name on. is Nicole. Hi. <laughs> Welcome to episode 27. <laughs> That's how old I am. Yep. Okay, we're going to get into it. So, we're talking today about Dr. Amy Bishop. Okay. I feel like that should be like a very bridge name. Dr. Amy Bishop. I like it. She's not. Okay. So, she don't was like born it. to her human. <laughs> what? I said I like it. Okay, I don't like it. Sorry, I was just. I like it, but not a lot. <laughs> I don't like it. Please don't sue me. No, 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 no. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. They do know. It's fine. It's a great cartoon. <laughs> so, so we're gonna. Um, so Amy Bishop was born to her parents Judy and Sam Bishop, but um, that's not her dad's born name, and we're gonna talk about that because. It's a, it, you guys know how well I pronounce things. So her mom is Judy Sanborn, which is ironic. Uh, um, she came from an old, from aunt, yeah, I put and instead of Anne. an old New England family in Exeter, New Hampshire. We have listeners in New Hampshire. Hello. I don't know. I don't think it's Exeter, but anyways, where her grandfather owned a shoe factory. A shoe. She met Sam at the New England School of Art in Boston. So Ooh. fancy. Um, they were the traditional polar opposites. He was born, so this is his born name, <laughs> Sotir Papazoglos. Oh. I love it so much. And he was being raised by in- immigrants in a Greek enclave, 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 sure, of Somerville. Um, he joined the Air Force in 1954. Then he changed his name to Sam Bishop because, I mean, I get it. That's a name, Sotir Papazoglos. Um, Judy was a woman with curly blonde hair and a raucous sense of humor. Sam was burly and more reserved. Um, in the article that I found that I took most of these notes from, um, and I'll put those in the show notes because I've been lacking on that. Um, Judy would say, I chased him until he caught me. <laughs> I'm like, that's so cute. So in 1964, they moved to Iowa City where Sam um, did graduate work in fine arts with the University of Iowa. He'd paint all day and then be a janitor at night. And then, um, so we moved to April 24th, 1965, and that is when their daughter Amy is born. The story that this is about, she's, uh, you should oh, just wait. She was a bright, emphatic child who arranged her toys in her lo- elaborate formations as if they were on parade. Um, the family made their way back to Massachusetts when Amy's father got a teaching job at Northeastern University. So they settled in Braintree, Massachusetts in 1968. Then a year later, um, Amy gets a younger, or later that year, I should say, um, she gets a younger brother, and his name is Seth, on April 9th, 1968. Hello. So these parents are, like, really busy um, nine months before April because both their kids were born in April. <laughs> so Braintree was a middle-class suburb just south of Boston uh, during post-year. <laughs> I can't. I had to do it. Our Boston, if, I don't know if we have Boston listeners, but hello. We, hello. we don't. We will. <laughs> During post-war years, it became a beachhead for Irish and Italian families, fleeing the city's gritty precincts. Uh, Braintree seemed clannish, which I'm assuming like maybe cliquish. I don't know. But Judy's friendly, good-natured manners won people over. Judy's the mom. She got involved in civic life, joined the town meeting, um, the local governing body, and drawing editorial cartoons for the local paper. And Deb Kosarik. A nurse who rented the cottage from the family became very close with the family, saying 
Judy was like the town spokesperson. If you had a question, you'd call her. So, yes. So now we're going to get a little bit more into Amy's uh, childhood. She was asthmatic, and she went to several trips to the um, emergency room. She grew fond of science with her frequent, frequent trips to the hospital. My God, she was determined to find a cure, which I think is amazing yes. for a little kid to want to think like that. But, I mean, I can be uh, sensitive to her as a child, but as an adult, she sucks. So, spoiler alert. <laughs> she started playing violin in third grade, and Seth asked his parents if he could learn to play too. Everyone knew, who knew the siblings at that time knew they were very close. One of her friends, uh, Kathleen Oldham, said... She doted on her little brother. They both loved music. They loved science. She seemed to enjoy having someone younger to collaborate with. Because they're, he was, she was in 65, he was in 68, so they're like three years apart. And um, so they often went to the beach together and spent time at their grandmother's house on Lake Winnipesaukee in New Hampshire. Do you know where that is? And no, I booked it that lake, I swear. Yeah. Uh, it was fun to say. I was That's really. the wash machine, by the way. I think the last time I said that, I couldn't really hear it, but it is very loud today. So whatever. Um, Amy said, Seth and I loved each other. They often played violin at night at home in the summer evenings that their neighbors were curious about and also envious. Um, Amy intended to be a loner, which in the town of Braintree, a bright kid was apt to be. Seth was shy as well, but less. <laughs> so they didn't have smart kids in Braintree? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Damn, I didn't even cut. This is my chance here, you guys. <laughs> so Amy, um, Seth was shy as well, but less aloof. He was less cool, less indistant, um, where Seth would want to sit and talk with you. Amy was more of a breeze-through kind of person. Her mom, or her friend Deb, or the, the nurse that lived with them, Deb, or rented their cottage. I'm fine. Okay. Excuse that. They nurse. had a nurse renting their cottage? They had, like, their house, and there was, like, a cottage on the property, too, that they'd rent out to people. Really? Yes. So Seth was always getting into new hobbies with heavy enthusiasm. His best friend, Paul Agnew, um, recalled their friendship grew out of shared fascination with trains. They messed with model railroads that they, um, Seth would put together in his attic. They went to the local Conrail yard, ignoring no trespassing signs, and mm -hmm. where they would ex uh, examine locomotives up close that were obviously abandoned and damaged or taken off, whatever. How fun would that be? I know. It makes me think of, like, in The Lion King, where they're like, you can't go to where the shadows are. <laughs> Those are forbidden. <laughs> That's my favorite movie of all time as for children's or Disney movies. Anyways, continuing. Um, Seth would often bike to other surrounding communities to explore. Judy would sometimes be driving home, or driving. Jeez, I just spit on my computer screen. <laughs> Happened. There's so much saliva. Um, Seth, or, um, she'd be driving miles from home and find her son biking. Uh, several of his friends said he was very mischievous. He was always carrying his violin with him while people would like taunt him in the lunchroom. And they'd, um, they're like, oh, yeah, you should play, Try to bully, trying to bully him until he played. But the sound was so beautiful that it literally stunned his bullies into silence. Oh, my gosh. That's like, magic. That's like, magic. yeah, violin is, it's an absolutely beautiful instrument. And I think if you can play it and you play it well, oh, there's a little girl named, I think it's Carolina Pretsenko. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to, okay. yeah. If you look up even remotely, like she plays, she'll like play like new age songs. Like my favorite one is Sunflower by Post Malone. Mm -hmm. oh, she's got, and she's got long, magical, beautiful hair. I think 
She's getting ready to have a new sibling. This is totally, you know, babbles. Okay. Also, for. if uh, you're a listener and you play the violin, feel free to submit a little clippy clip, Sony clip, and you know, we'll play it. And too. you can send those to me on Anchor. Like you can re- record voice clips on there, and I, you can literally put them in as a segment. So, um, I will happily. Yes. Or if you play this violin, piano, if you want to just yell into this thing, whatever, just do it. We want to hear your voices. Yes. So anyway. Yes, music, musical abilities. Mm-hmm. So, moving on to his senior year of high school, Seth started dating a junior, and her name was Melissa Tatro. To true, to true, sure. Amy, who was now in college at Northeastern in Boston, didn't approve of this new fling. I mean, sometimes sisters get a little, uh, mm, what is it? Not territorial. Protective? Protective over their... Um, over their, their, well, even their siblings in general, 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 (laughs) I'll never forget Babel time. Whenever I first met Shauna, that's her. (laughs) Um, we, Vince had just kind of told us, he's like, yeah, I'm bringing a chick home because my brother was kind of a hoe. I'm not going to lie. Could you make that a, could you lie a little bit? I just bring a chick. Fuck off. No, I'm going to be like that. I got a chick home. So if you run into her, don't freak out. (laughs) And I. So she, at that time, was uh, still smoking cigarettes, and I went in our garage to get a little mini pizza, and I was startled because there was a human there, and I don't think I had been informed that he had had a girl at the house, and I'm like, oh, hi, I'm Nicole, I'm Vince's sister, and she's like, hi, I'm Shauna, and I'm like, cool, great, I'm going to get a pizza, and I ended up eating two, because back then, um, that was, okay, God. 11 years ago? <laughs> yes. 11 years ago, I was a much skinnier human and I could eat two pizzas and it didn't affect me. <laughs> but it was, no, it was, it was a great story. And I'm like, um, after I left the garage and Vince was coming up the stairs from my parents' house, I'm like, she's cute. What's she doing with you? Shut the fuck up. I'm like, and here we, you are still cute. Oh my God. F you. Back to the story. Okay. Now I'm the fucking... I punch you in the face. Okay. Melissa said that she felt Amy, um, she felt that Amy felt she wasn't good enough for her brother. So one evening in 1985, the bishops returned home from the, um, wake of Sam's father, um, which is the dad, his, so they're the kid's grandfather to find their curtains. Okay. This has nothing to do with Melissa. So this is apparently that's just okay, where she wanted to put a babble in her, uh, babble story. Yep. <laughs> apparently <laughs> I just rolled off with this article. So the, they found their curtains billowing on the on a first floor window. The house had been broken into, stealing Judy's wedding ring, a pair of silver cups commemorating the kids' births, and other valuables stuffed into pillowcases taken from Amy and Seth's beds. So they went and took the pillowcases off their beds and then took their valuables with those items, which I think is just it's nice. almost more personal. It's yeah. weird. So Judy wrote a letter to the local paper begging for the return of the keepsakes. Um, Sam... The dad then drove to a nearby town and bought a 12-gauge shotgun. This, so this is this is uh, part one. No, this is like just one whole story. Part one of the crazy story that is Amy Bishop. So Judy and Amy objected of the gun being in the house, but Sam kept the weapon unloaded in the bedroom closet with a box of shells um, on his dresser nearby. Mm-hmm. So now we're going to jump a year to December 6th, 1986. A 911 call was made by Judy, her daughter Amy, put it in all claps, claps, caps, I'm fine, had shot her son Seth. 
Amy shot her brother. She had witnessed the whole incident, deeming it an unfortunate accident. So that morning, Judy had gotten up while it was still dark. The family was asleep upstairs, and she left to drive to Quincy, where she stabled an elderly gelding. If you don't know what a gelding is, it's a horse. Um, <laughs> she spent a few hours cleaning up the horse in the stable. It was unclear the time she got home with the unfortunate phone call she would have to make after 2 p.m. that day. The police station was less than two miles from the Bishop house, so a Oh, wow. Officers arrived quickly. Mm -hmm. Judy met them at the door. Her clothing spotted. Spot Jeez, oh, Pete. I need to go home. Oh, wait. I have on her clothing. Yeah, I was spotted with blood. That's fucking great. Ah! She directed police to her kitchen, and her 18-year-old son was lying on the floor, bleeding to death from a chest wound. Oh. Amy, 21 years old at the time, was nowhere to be found. Paramedics worked quickly to try and revive Seth while Judy was questioned by the police. Seth had just gotten home from the grocery store and she was in the kitchen when Amy came downstairs with her father's shotgun. And we'll get to how we get here from Amy's POV too. Um, Judy told them, Amy said to me, I have a shell in the gun and I don't know how to unload it. Um, her mom told her not to point the gun at anyone, but then she sw swung it toward her brother to show him and it fired. It was a small kitchen and Amy had been standing close to her brother, so it hit him point blank in the chest. Oh my lord. So when he collapsed, Amy fled. And this is just. And I ran. Yeah, she ran so far away. The officers put word out she needed to be taken in, and she was quickly found at an auto body shop in town. She was taken and interviewed by Lieutenant James Sullivan. That's just a cop name. Yeah. Lieutenant James Sullivan, reporting for duty. Or Detective Sullivan. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay, anyways. That morning, she had been out, been alone in the house while her mother was at the stables. And her, so this is her point of view? Yeah, this, okay. is, this is her starting her story. She was by herself at the house because her dad and brother were both also out. Um, she had stated she was nervous about robbers because of the previous break-in and being alone in her home made her uneasy. How now, long had the break-in happened before? A year this? before. Okay. I knew you were going to ask that. Um, but, I mean, I get it. If you're home alone and something like that happened with you, I get feeling uneasy. So... Seth had once taught her how to load the gun, but not to unload it. So she loaded several shells. So she said she only had one bullet in there. She loaded several shells in it, but as she was trying to figure out how to remove them, she fired a, sh a, shell, a shot, shattering a vanity mirror and a blasting a hole in her bedroom wall. And nobody heard that, huh? Sorry. She was home by herself. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. When she heard her brother come home, she went downstairs and asked him to help her unload it, at which point Sullivan wrote in his report, she turned and the shotgun went off. Amy was asked if she shot him on purpose, and she said no. Amy also stated that her family had had a spat that morning um, when her father left the house. It was said in the report it was a disagreement about something had made, Amy had made a comment about, and um, the dad left to cool off around 11.30 a.m. and went to browse for Christmas gifts at the mall at uh, South Shore Plaza and came home to emergency vehicles everywhere. So Sam hightailed it to the hospital and was there at 3.08 p.m. when Seth was pronounced dead. Mm. 18 years old and gone, just like that. Mm. As his body was pushed by on the gurney, Sam swore. Seth turned his head to look about his father. And this is uh, Sam. This is a quote. They keep saying he was dead or they kept saying he was dead, but he didn't seem dead to me. He looked at me. Oh. I'm like, I wonder if his head like was just open oh. and it looked like he looked at him. Oh. I couldn't imagine seeing your 18-year-old baby. But you know what? Like, to me, uh -huh. that was him. That would be, I'd want that in my head, that he looked at me. That he looked he at looked, me. Just like when your aunt died and Vince got the phone call. Oh, yeah. I was like, Andy, right. You know? Mm -hmm. and, and people were like, there's no way. Well, she did call. 
Yeah. And and that's my when he aunt decided D- to pour his heart out. And like that was how he was able to say goodbye. So yeah. whether we're gonna believe that she decided she was gonna go and she she made that call. Yeah. Yeah, she my Aunt D um I th- uh, lung cancer. And it was it'll be two years this coming up year. And um uh she died early that morning, um, in her daughter's arms, my cousin Jessica, who's the raddest chick in the whole world. I fucking love Jess so much. Um uh but that afternoon, yeah, Vince got a phone call from my Aunt D's phone. And I, I 100% believe, and it's so, and it's so crazy because I, my aunt always said, um, they put it in her little memory book that they did at her funeral, that um, she wanted to come back as a red-tailed hawk, and I kid you not, I see them all the time now. Every. Uh oh. And then um, my cousin Jamie uh, wrote this beautiful poem about rainbows and what, uh, this a story that went back behind with uh, a rainbow. Oh gosh, D explained what a rainbow was to her when she was really little. So now every time we get rainbows, she always Snapchats me and she's like, "Hey, D's saying hey." And the last memory I have with her is when we went. Sorry, this is a really long babble. Um, <laughs> I we went to a train concert in California when I was out there visiting when I was 16, and now every time I hear tr- the band Train, I just it's just like, "Hey," and I can't just skip any songs. Like I listen to the whole song, even if it's one I don't particularly want to hear. But, um, yeah, so that's, uh, that's, that's our sign and love and everything for the moment. So back to this awful, 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 awful story. I'm fine, guys. I'm fine. So that evening, Amy was released from the PlayStation, PlayStation, she was released from the PlayStation as she was highly emotional and hysterical. Jesus. God. I thought you said PlayStation. I'm like. PlayStation. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. Huh. She was released from the police station. And she was hysterical. highly emotional and hysterical. Same. Further investigation was to follow. While they were out, some neighbors had come in and scrubbed the blood off the floor to spare them the task. Oh, my. That's good neighbors. That's some good-ass neighbors. Wow. The nurse renting their cottage, Deb, that we mentioned earlier, came home around supper time and joined Judy in the kitchen, where her son literally had just died. Oh, um, Amy was in her parents' bed asleep and Sam was in his study. She was surprised of the release of Amy so quickly. She noticed there was still blood and tissue on the kitchen walls and appliances and made Judy leave the room. Like she just was sitting there, like she had food on the table, but like she was just sitting there just like, I think encompassing like what had actually like happened in front of her face. Mm-hmm. So thank God for Deb getting her the hell out of that house. So, um, over the next several days, friends came by to drop off, uh, it was said specifically Chinese food or to express condolences. Um, his service was at the church of all souls with an open casket. Um, Amy was very zombie-like and catatonic. Um, his death ultimately was ruled an accident. So Amy did, she continued to carry guilt, even though it was a tragic, tragic accident. She didn't end up receiving any charges from it or anything like that. It was just an awful, awful accident. Yeah. So for months, at you know, she was 21. She would crawl into bed with her parents, and um, she would her friends would have to coax her to get her to come out of the house and join them to do things. Um, she received no counseling or therapy, as her father wasn't a believer in psychiatry, and Amy said she didn't want to confront what happened that day, which I think is very, very detrimental and probably this is she's what um, leads to whatever we're going to find out. Yep. So she felt terrible and did not want to explore that feeling deeper, which I mean, I kind of get, but it's I'm like, tough, but you need to, in order to, get, yeah. to, to, to be able to get over it and, or, and, or just 
deal with it in a more healthy manner. Hundred percent. Okay. Just making sure it's still recording because it makes me paranoid. Um, the family stayed in the home and Amy ate meals in the room her brother had died in and she'd walk past his bedroom, which was still intact with a revolutionary war wallpaper and a handmade side above the door that had his name chiseled in it. Chiseled in it. <gasps> she even eventually returned to college, but she's continued living at home. So she would go to her father's office on campus and he would drive her home because remember he was... A, like an art teacher and then he was a janitor at night so she seemed to deflect her grief by becoming a dedicated student she earned excellent graves like she threw herself into school i mean she's obvious her, she's dr amy bishop um her father seemed to grow withdrawn and somber um judy focused on keeping sam going and saving amy um judy uh, she just wanted to save what was left of her family. Judy would sometimes see a boy on a bike and be like, there's been a mistake. There's my boy. And once she pulled closer and realized it would, oh it was obviously gosh. not her son. Oh boy. Yeah. Like, uh, I could not imagine, Ugh. especially having a friend recently. So, so recently lose their child. I don't, I pray. I never ever have to experience that. Cause I couldn't, I couldn't imagine. I really... Ooh, okay, anyways, moving on. Because Amy moved on with life and she graduated. Um, people knew of her brother but never really spoke of it to her. Um, she enrolled then into a PhD program in genetics at Harvard in 1988. She met a man on campus and she met in a group that was devoted to Dungeons and Dragons, which I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> my cousin Erin is super, super into that. And if you guys have heard us mention Erin before because she's um, in college now and she keeps doing different projects and using our podcast as her And I uh, love her medium. pieces and have yet to meet her. Just saying. She, it there. She lives yeah. in Wisconsin. She lives quite a, quite a ways away. So, um, yeah. No, she's a wonderful, cute, little, adorable 21-year-old and Thank I love her so much. Yes, it's literally the background of my phone. But um, So, anyways, Dungeons & Dragons is how they met and his name was Jim Anderson. Well, it's James Anderson, but he goes by Jim. Um, he actually attended the wake, her brother's wake and uh, then they met more like got their relationship got deeper because of this group. Um, they dated for a few years and they got married. And then, um, so then they go to have their first daughter. Her name is Lily. And then she was followed by two more girls named Thea and Phaedra. P-H-A-E-D-R-A. Phaedra. I'm like, that's freaking beautiful. Yeah. I mean, Thea's beautiful. I have my friends, their little girl's name's Thea, but Lily, Thea, and Phaedra. Um, she was a loving, high-strung mother. <laughs> I know what that's like. <laughs> ah! Hi, Mom! <laughs> she bought organic food, encouraged her girls to play instruments, and fretted over if they were challenged in school. Okay, just kidding, not my mom. Um, <laughs> we like pizza. Anyway, <laughs> she graduated from Harvard just barely and started her postdoctoral appointments. Just jobs, I'm guessing. Um, the small family lived in her parents' cottage as Amy, Amy, Jesus, Amy only trusted her mother to babysit, which, I mean, I get that. Like, Arlo's literally babysat by Shauna, like, a lot of the time. He's like, brother mom. He often gets mad at me and goes, I go to Nana's house. And I'm like, she doesn't want you either there with your crap attitude. <laughs> and he goes, I go and I see my cousins. Cushions. Cushions. <laughs> my Ethan and my Jaya and my Bree and my Xander and Payne's at college. College. That's <laughs> so cute. Sorry, guys. I'm a little babbling. It's been a day. Um, okay. Graduated. Mm -hmm. So um, 
so moving on. Okay, so she, you know, first kills her brother accidentally. I use that word loosely because it comes back around later on. Um, so at one point in time, um, I don't know if I have the year that this happened. So she was working for a professor at a Harvard medical school, and it was speculated that she planned to use a pipe bomb against him. Um, her case did get dismissed, but uh, it was Professor Paul Rosenba Rosenberg, Jesus, a Harvard Medical School professor and physician who received a package containing two pipe bombs that didn't detonate once they were opened. They weren't able to pin it down to directly to Amy and her husband, and everything was dismissed. So, um, she worked for him. I can't, I was in the article, I, I just didn't go more in depth to it, but I'm just, she has sprinklings of encounters with the law her gotcha. whole life after her brother's fiasco. Okay. An uh, awful, awful murder. I feel like it's a murder because an accidental murder, but a murder nonetheless. Um, so moving to 1996, they finally sold the cottage or Sam and Judy sold their house, which included the cottage and they moved to Ipswich, which was 35 miles away. So in 2001, Amy, oh, so Amy has another child and she gives birth to her first and only son and his name is Seth. Okay. So just, just, but yeah. And not a lot of people knew like the significance or that they didn't, she didn't tell a lot of people about her brother's okay. death, but you want to know what's even crazier. Her son was born on her brother's 33rd birthday. Wow. He was born. Yeah. I was like, that's, that's sad. That's, I don't know. I think it's kind of beautiful, but I don't know the rest of the story. Either. Yeah. Just wait. So there's that. Anyways, so that was, yeah, so 2001. So now we're, um, <laughs> Amy also got deep into writing at this point, but it would mostly be kept fictional, but she did, there was some like underlying factors and like it talks about her books and I'll try to find like pictures of them for the Instagram. But like, um, she, uh, she was like, I wanted to keep it away from my life, but there was like one story where she talked about, um, like a mother who was worried about her, her little, little son dying. And like her mom's 18, her brother was 18 when he died. So it was just, there were some similar connections to her personal life, but she tried to keep away from that, but whatever. So over the course of the next few years, Amy would have um, small outbursts and even had an incident at an IHOP in 2002 where um, her and her family went in and the last booster seat was taken by this other family. And she went up to this table, started yelling at the lady that she was I am Dr. Amy Bishop is what it said. And, um, she ended up punching this lady in the head because she wanted the booster seat for her son, Seth to sit in. Ew. Like just loses it at an IHOP. I'm like, Ew, Matt, she doesn't need therapy. No, not at all. She but luckily she did get charged, but they eventually were dropped. So Cause she's a doctor. Cause she's a doctor, a doctor who wrote several novel novels over the course of a few where, Oh my God. God, next few years as well. Okay. Still maintained postdoctoral research. So she was the win the breadwinner in her home, and her husband would work random like lab jobs that he would secure um, through through his wife's assistance. So she was the one who she just always had a good job. I mean, she was a doctor. She was smart. Right. She's just a little fucking crazy. So so now this is the, now we're gonna get into more. Just more. So she secured a tenure track job at the University of Alabama and the family relocated there in 2003. 
So Amy and Jim, they were working on an invention of a cell incubator that would change the way biological and medical research is conducted. Um, she was pursuing she was pursuing patents rather than writing papers. You know, she was okay. She was working at a college, so instead of like doing you know her job, she would um, be working on trying to get the cell incubator to help change research. Um, so her publication record was scant, and she appeared to have heeded or she had repeated warnings that failing to publish could jeopardize her prospects for tenure at this college. So if she wasn't giving feedback for her um, classes, then she was going to lose her job. So she dismissed her grad students from her lab and even told students that they were not as bright as their counterparts at Harvard. So several of her students would often be requested to be transferred out of her class. Um, as her career started to drift, she became very isolated. She wasn't returning calls or emails from the school. She was prone to erratic and bizarre behavior. Huh, wonder why. So moving to 2009, she ends up publishing an article in the in International Journal of General Medicine, and she listed um, her husband and her daughters as co-authors, like the Curie's family did. Marie Curie apparently just involved their kids all with something to get their names on um, things for, like, upholding their future, so to speak. Okay. So that spring in 2009. Just her daughters, not her son? Yeah, because he was still, he was young. I know. Family, name your family. Right. So that spring, her tenure was denied well, in 2009. So one member of the committee said she was crazy. Fact. They were worried of her mental health. Wow. I wonder why. She filed a series of appeals and then hired a lawyer. So this is all happening in 2009. So she was under, so she was going to work this semester of 2009 to 2010 when it ended. So she was under tremendous stress and that she um, started to hallucinate. Shortly after her brother had died, they, um, it was said that she had started to hear voices, and since then, they would turn on and off when she'd start to have an allergy attack, which apparently was kind of frequently because, as a kid, she was very asthmatic, so it turned into, like, having severe allergies as she grew into an adult. Okay. So, she called and asked to meet with the president of the university to speak of her case of uh, tenure denial, and they told her she wasn't allowed inside to talk with the principal. Um, yep. She then phoned her friend Deborah Moriarty, and she's an important person. I love the name Moriarty. Same. <laughs> I took a lot of practice making sure I said it right. And said, they act like I'm going to walk in and shoot somebody. <gasps> Hell! Was that a little bit of foreshadowing? <laughs> yep. Okay, I'm sorry, I yelled. A week before a meeting that was scheduled, her husband took her to a firing range on the edge of town for practice. They had a 9mm Ruger that Jim had acquired more than a decade earlier in Massachusetts. Just, this story is just bonkers. So he acquired it from a friend who obtained the firearm illegally at 3 p.m. on Saturday. Okay, so now, okay, guys, this is, so that was the week before. Now we're at 3 p.m. on February 12th, 2010. Amy went into the conference room for a faculty meeting. There were 13 professors and staff members in the biology. She was allowed in the faculty meeting? Or this is her department. Okay, okay. In the biology department, in this windowless conference room on the third floor of the Shelby Center for Science and Technology at the University of Alabama. Illegal, illegal. You gotta have windows. You need an, an extra fire escape. Well, just, just wait. So, department chair. I didn't look up how these names are sounded. So, if I say these wrong, I'm sorry. I'm gonna assume it's Gopi Padilla. Okay. Um, he. Uh, I don't know if it's he or she. 
Oh, him. Yep. Handed out a printed agenda. Amy sat next to him in a spot directly by the door. And in her bag was the nine handbag was the nine millimeter handgun. Mm. She was 45 years old. She had dark, short hair with bangs cut over her small blue eyes. She, her, she kind of reminded me of, um, Oh, Edna mode from (laughs) the Incredibles, short, dark hair. She just didn't have the glasses. That was the only thing. So usually in these meetings, she was very vocal, but this one, she sat stony and very silent for this one. She'd been told the previous year her tenure would end. So she didn't even like everybody. So once semester was over, she would be out of a job. This meeting was much about the next year's plan, and she really didn't need to be present for this meeting. So so her friend, Deb Moriarty, watched her from across the table. Um, Deb was a biochemist, and she was... Uh, teacher there too. Um, her and Amy had grown very close and she knew the stress of the upcoming end had taken a toll on her friend, insisting at one point her life was over is what Amy said. My life is over. Like this has been everything I needed. Well, I'm like, well, you didn't do your job right. So, so for 50 minutes, five, zero, 50 minutes, she said nothing. As this meeting was about to end, she stood up, pulled out the nine millimeter Ruger semi-automatic and shot Padilla in the head. She fired again, hitting a department assistant, Stephanie Monticello, 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 I don't know. Monticello sounds better to me. Okay. Next, she turned and shot Adriel Johnson, who is a cell biologist. People screamed and ducked for cover, but she was blocking the door. No other door led in or out of this room, and there was no windows. She had chosen her, yep, that too. Firearm hazard. Sir. (laughs) It's <laughs> a comic relief. She chose in her spot wisely. I was the only one in the room to get in or out. Um, she saw, shot a fourth colleague, uh, Maria Raglan Davis. Then Deborah Moriarty, because I like saying her name, grabbed her legs, looked up at her and screamed, Amy, don't do this. Think of my daughter. Think of my grandson. And all there was... Um, oh, okay. I skipped the line. Amy looked down at her and pointed the gun again. Her fucking friend... And pulled the trigger. And all there was was a click. No shot. Just a click. The gun jammed. The entire scene lasted less than a minute with three fatalities and three injured. She left the room with the gun and went to the ladies room. Took off her bloodstained plaid blazer and wrapped the gun in it and put it in the trash can. Then she walked into a nearby lab and asked a student for a cell phone and called her husband. She's like, I'm done. I need you to come get me. He didn't know anything about this. And he had, I, there was a YouTube video where I kind of watched him. He's, I don't know. We're almost, we're almost finished with this crazy tale. But, um, so she left the Shelby center through a loading dock when a deputy apprehended her. Like she was trying to, you know, be sneaky sneak. Um, but yeah, they caught the bitch. So anyways, so satellite news trucks began arriving to report on the tragedy. She was, she ended up with a court appointed lawyer named Roy Miller. She left nine people alive to her crime because there was, she, yeah, there was 13 other people in the room. Three, or I guess she would be the 13th person. So, yeah, nine people alive, three passed away. Um, everyone wanted to know why. It was quickly brought to light um, about her killing her brother back in 1986. Like, we, we pulled these files and... I I didn't bring this up. There was like an officer whose last name was, I'm pretty sure it's Polio. (laughs) His name was Officer Polio. And when Amy had shot Seth, 
they had like asked for him specifically to come and talk to the mom, but they are like, no, 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 we didn't do that. We didn't do that. I don't think they were like trying to cover it up because it was deemed an accident, but they felt that that case was not handled correctly and was not fully Mm -hmm. um, investigated the way it should have been back in 1986. So moving to her trial, she was charged with one count of capital murder and then three counts of attempted murder. Um, I know she killed three people. What's capital murder? Um, I know it's more intense than just murder. 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 Capital murder. Um, let's see here. Capital murder was a, oh wait, no, was a statutory offense of aggravated murder. Wait, no, that's not what it, what it, okay. Was a statutory offense of aggravated murder in Great Britain and Northern Ireland in the Republic, which is later adopted. What is capital murder? Is a murder that may be punished by death. Okay. So, um, uh, but she doesn't end up receiving the death penalty, but so that one count is higher than if she were to get, um, three counts of murder, because then that wouldn't, she could have, she could receive the death penalty and the, so on September 11th, 2012, she pled guilty to the above charges, capital murder and three counts of attempted after the family members of the victims petitioned the judge against using the death penalty. So on September 24th, 2012, she was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. She was put on suicide watch, as that tends to be requested on cases like these, and it was deemed after some psych evaluation she had the tendencies of being a paranoid schizophrenic. (gasps) No way. Wild, right? So she started being medicated for that, but that um, that, um, evaluation was ended up being redacted that the diagnosis was expressed without validity. Because she wasn't, like, I think at one point, like, in guilty by insanity kind of thing was a, a, a factor in this, but it ended up not working out. So, but on top of these charges, so her, like I said, her brother's case had been brought back into the spotlight and it was reinvestigated. And um, she did end up receiving a first degree murder charge for her, for her brother's murder on June, June 16th, 2010. Wow. So she's, yeah. So she is sitting in jail now. Hopefully living her worst life. Wow. I wonder what her parents think. Are they still alive? Do we know? I'm not sure if her parents are still alive. I didn't quite look that up. I mean, That's okay. it wouldn't be that old. I mean, she's only in her right, 40s. Right, right, right. So almost 50s because this was in 2010. No. 2013, I think you said. 2012 is when she was sentenced to life in prison. It was February 2nd. February 12th, 2010. So 10 years ago. <laughs> so yeah. So that is the bonkers banana story of dr amy bishop holy fucking moly dude i only didn't i didn't have a whole lot of like i typed my notes out and it only ended up on four pages but it took a lot longer to tell that story than i thought it would so nate i hope i did it justice (laughs) are we almost at an hour is that why yeah okay well then i don't have to do my rabbit hole but i can tell you hey i have a little story to tell (laughs) <laughs> i mean um, we're at like 45 minutes right now no well i don't know how okay well so as you're telling your story i don't know if you guys heard my little phone go yeah um apparently little skunky skunk uh-oh got under my house no and spray <laughs> oh no that's so crazy because darian's dog got sprayed by a skunk a couple days ago too well my house got sprayed um <laughs> so vince is like now it's fucking rakes oh no <laughs> Oh man. 
So, okay, well, let's see. Just do it. Okay, here we go. Just do it. Doing it, doing it, doing it. Okay. So this is um, something I got off of Honest to Pause, P-A-W-S, um, dot com. Uh, the Peculiar Ways, History's Five Worst Pandemics Finally Ended. Hey, figured it was fitting since we're all going through a pandemic, even those who are listening in other countries. <laughs> we're all fucking up again. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm sorry. I just looked at our episodes and one of them's at 69 plays and I'm a child and I think that's funny. <laughs> Super funny. Hey, pause so we can take a picture. Okay. And we're back. Hey. And it's recording. <laughs> yes. Okay. We need. All right. So obviously we'll be talking about the pandemic. Uh or the pan pandemics in general. Yes, thank you. More pandemics from coronavirus. Also reading verbatim. So bear with us. <laughs> oh, you think twenty twenty is a nightmare? Huh? Imagine how bad humanity had during the Humanity had it during history's previous disease disasters. Not to invalidate the more recent stress, of course, but in the olden days, nobody had Netflix to keep them occupied. The, the fucking tragedy. You fucking ne- not know Netflix? No ID. No, Netflix. no fucking internet. <laughs> okay. And the certain and they certainly didn't have toilet paper shortages. Toilet paper didn't exist. Oh, goodness. When the five worst pandemics did come to an end, as COVID-19 slowly, slowly is, the reasons they fizzled out were surprisingly varied. Sometimes new and unusual tricks to ward off disease actually worked, even as the public and the government weren't initially unreceptive. Oh, or, were initially un, un, initially unreceptive. I can't. I, apparently, I don't know how to read either, guys. <laughs> These genius moves may have very well saved the world. All right. Since the beginning of recorded history, there have been five major pandemics. The first three of them were caused by one bacteria called Yersinia. It's not like the freaking chef from Muppets. Yersinia pestis, Y-E-R-S-I-N-I-A-P-E-S-T-I-S. So Yersinia pestis. To say that this microscopic organism was a pest would be an understatement. Pestis. Okay. Not the bestest. Pestis first became, okay, it says Y pestis first became, Y, Y, the letter Y, period, pestis first became widely known as the plague of Justinian. Okay. It first broke out in Constantinople in 541 CE, having come from Egypt on boats that carried bacteria-infested fleas who snuck onto the backs of rats who were eating the grain on the ships. At the Hmm. time, nobody knew it was the fleas that were making them sick. As Europe, North Africa, and Asia fell ill, they only knew that Justinian Emperor of Constantinople and the Byzantine Empire had recently conquered Egypt, so his ships must have had something to do with it. <laughs> so they named the pandemic, which killed an estimated 30 to 50 million people, possibly half the world's population at the time. They named it after him in spite. Did their best to avoid anyone who was obviously afflicted and slowly the disease. Oh my goodness, <laughs> the disease petered out all right round two however the strain was far from eradicated 800 years later it struck europe with the 
vengeance and received a new moniker, the Black Death. Hey! Mm-hmm. Though the global population had recovered since the first go-round, Wypestis wiped out another 200 million lives in just four years. All I'm thinking about is pesto sauce. Well, it's P-E-S-T-I-S. Pesto! <laughs> Updated knowledge. This time, health officials had gotten a little smarter. Having learned from the history books about the previous pandemic's terrifying effects, they knew the spread could be controlled by staying away from the sick and by keeping the sick from going near others. In the major port of Ragusa? Rag- Is that right? right Ragusa now. Pasta. <laughs> Sorry. Being controlled by the Venetian Republic and now a part of modern day Croatia. I really want some pasta, guys. <laughs> Olive Garden, sponsor me. Yep. Officials were overwhelmed by the amount of sick sailor- sailors coming into port. We're hardcore on the struggle bus tonight. I can tonight. read so well in my head. It's getting it out of my mouth loudly <laughs> or oh. <laughs> decibels for other ears that oh. I have a hard time with. Goodness. Okay, so let me try that again. Um, no. And decided to have the men stay on their ship for 40 days once they docked to prove they weren't ill. 40 days. So we're nice. our incubation, if you will, times 14. They had him stay for 40 days. Jesus. they're not out. It's nuts. Uh, now it's 10 days. Is like, it? Yeah. Like, I've heard that you can, if if you're fine by 10 days I heard now. that if you're, I'm not going to say that because people get mad at me. I heard if you've kind of got a little bit more authority, it's 10 days. But if you're like a student, it's 14. Oh. This 40-day period of isolation called oh, quarantino. <laughs> After the Venetian word for Tarantino, 40, what? After the Venetian word for forty, was the first time metrics had been applied to disease prevention. The method caught on, and it became adapted worldwide into what we now know as modern day quarantine. Quarantino. Quarantino. That's like Quentin Tarantino's Quentin Tarantino's name, like mashed together. Yeah. Yeah. We should have started with this first because that would have been the ending. Okay. <laughs> Resurgence. Although quarantine practices helped in the Black Death, they frustratingly, yes, didn't keep it from reappearing, and London okay. was hit particularly hard. Every two decades or so, a mini plague popped back up in London, and officials were hard pressed to figure out how to curtail it. Sorry, you hear me pause when I have to scroll. Curtail it? <laughs> curtail it. <laughs> Zoe, I'm going to curtail you. <laughs> Death tolls. Even worse, okay. it killed 20% of the city's population every time it resurged. By the 1500s, the British government was exhausted and imposed new countrywide laws requiring infected homes to be marked with a hay bale hung on a pole outside of the front door. They also required people with infected family to carry a white pole while they were out running errands so everyone would know to stay clear. Believing cats and dogs were carrying the disease, the government killed thousands of them, oh. still unaware that the fleas were the culprit. Cows? Cats and dogs. Cow. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, it reminds me of, um, That's cr- of uh, why I can't Monty Python, bring out your dead. <laughs> I think I'll go for a walk. Okay. In 1665, the other day, the Great Plague, yes, it was a Wednesday. The Great Plague of London struck worse than any of the many outbreaks before. Fed up, the government banned all public events. 
forcibly shut people into their homes and sealed the dead in mass graves with minimal minimal undertaker contact. Wow. This hardline approach worked and why pestis was no more. That didn't mean pandemics were canceled as a brand, though. Smallpox had been going around in Europe and Asia for a while. <clears throat> but when it ar- arrived in the New World, the Americas, in the 1400s, it wiped out community. It wiped communities out. Knock them out! Having never been previously exposed to the virus, the indigenous population of the American continents had no immunity whatsoever to smallpox. In one century, 90 to 95% of America's non-European-born residents were dead. R.I.P. 10 million people alone were lost in what's now Mexico. Crazy, right? It's a lot of humans. Though it took several centuries, science was able to catch up to smallpox. In 1796, Edward Jenner was huh? the first person to Sorry. successfully inoculate a healthy person against the disease by using a similar but less deadly cowpox to induce a minor infection. Hey, see, you knew something was happening. (laughs) Not cows. (laughs) Noticing that milkmaids who caught cowpox seemed immune to smallpox, Jenner swabbed fluid from a cowpox blister Uh, a cut on a boy's arm uh, and then exposed the boy to smallpox. When he didn't get sick, Jenner's method was duplicated across the globe and gave rise to the modern vaccine. By 1980... Smallpox wow. was eradicated. 1980 was the year I was born. Mm-hmm. All right. Her birthday is on December. Send us presents. December 4th, to be exact. I will be the big four fucking That's, that's National Cookie Day also. Hey! <laughs> I only know that because of work. <laughs> national Cookie Day. Cookies. Cookies for everyone. Possibly the wildest way to end an outbreak, though, was the way... Oh, why can't I say things? Cholera? Pol- Cholera? Cholera. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Cholera. You got that cholera? I feel so dumb. Cholera? I don't know. Cholera? Cholera finally subsided in the evening. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I told you. I'm not that smart. Okay. Shut the fuck up, you're very smart. <laughs> During the mid-19th century, scientists still believed the sickness, which was killing thousands of British folks, was the result of miasma or bad air. Hmm. So, there's a lot of fun pictures I can give you. However, this bad air was simply impossible to avoid, since air can't be seen. Not buying the official story, one guy named Jon Snow, Jon Snow, Mm -hmm. had an idea that went against the grain. He surmised the disease was being spread through some malady in London's water system. Hey, that's him. (laughs) He's hot. Super looker. Snow hunted for clues, comparing the hospital and morgue data from local outbreaks and looking for a link to where afflicted people got their drinking water. Finally, he found one. People who'd been using the Broad Street pump to get their well water had an unusually high rate of sickness, and 500 of those individuals had died. Jesus. Right. Snow hounded officials about the pump, at last convincing them to remove the pump handle and eliminate public access to the well. Local infections dropped dramatically, and Snow's discovery led to worldwide awareness of the importance of clean water and washing your hands. No, it doesn't say that part. It's just me. You should just do it. Indeed. 
have something to tell you about walking wonderful the spanish flu let's go <laughs> decades later the spanish flu struck on september 20th 1918 that's my mom's birthday mm-hmm. way to be the cause of death kelly just kidding <laughs> Way before you were born in 62. So, September 20th, 1918, 250 soldiers from Montana arrived in the city of Boulder, Colorado. Boulder. Of the 250 men, 13 were on their deathbeds. They weren't dying from battle wounds, however. They were shaking, sweating, and almost delirious with the flu. Jesus. Before long, the flu was zeroing in on Gunnison, Colorado, a farming and mining town with a population of 1,300. Wow. I think the population's root. That it wasn't even that long ago to be no, totally honest. Not a lot of years. Yeah. Gunnison was filled with tough, salt-of-the-earth people who took life day by day. Looking back, this clear-headed attitude may have been what saved them. Hmm. <laughs> Back in the fall of 1918, when those 13 soldiers fought for their lives in Boulder, the situation certainly made most Coloradans panic. After all, the began. The pandemic had been something other countries were dealing with. Suddenly, it was knocking on their own doors. Dum, dum, dum. Dum, dum. Knock, knock. Who's there? The flu is after us. Hi, it's me, Death. Yep. The Gunnison News Champion warned on October 10th that the flu was after them. It's circulating in almost every village and community around us. This wasn't just fear-mongering. So that, okay, doesn't this remind you of how COVID kind of happened? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, here's the, 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 the news stating the flu is after us. The Gunnison News ch- um, Champion warned on October 10th. It's circulating in almost every village and community around us. This wasn't just a fear-mongering. Two railroads ha- ran through Gunnison and connected into Denver, which is a hot spot for flu cases. I just find that that's kind of crazy. Very, very similar. <clears throat> By October 16th, Governor Julius Gunter had issued an executive order banning public and private gatherings. Hey, <laughs> this is the a town- Spanish flu. Mm-hmm. Of shit. all the towns in Colorado, Gunnison's reaction is what made them stand out. Unlike others, they refused to be inactive in the face of panic. Um. The News Champion published one front page article on influenza, including steps to take for avoidance and treatment in every weekly edition. Since this was before the time of news alerts, people in Gunnison clung to every word. I swear to God, I just thought I saw a shadow walking through my living room for a hot, hot second right now. That was a little unsettling. Hey, Sorry. Here, you survivor of the uh, Spanish flu. Espanol flu. Or obviously not a survivor of it. <laughs> oh. Gosh, yeah, that was dumb. Okay. Back in 1918, people weren't sanitizing their doorknobs with antibacterial wipes or soaking their hands in Purell. They weren't Uh, able to hoard face masks or toilet paper or frozen foods. Instead, they were forced to rely on something that seems completely foreign to us today. They were forced to trust their leaders. Okay. I'm sorry. Biting my tongue. Biting your tongue? Yep. But I, again, I know say, we're not a political. I'm not going to say my. Yeah. Okay. They depended on local newspapers for updates. My husband, doctors yep. for guidance, and the police for authority. Dr. F. P. Hansen, the county physician, took a leading role and made an unprecedented. <laughs> I thought I had it. Too. Unprecedented decision. Oh my gosh, I'm almost done. I think I have caused a strict quarantine to be placed in Gunnison County. What? Against the world. This is you know? almost 100 years ago, right? Like 102, 1918? Mm-hmm. 
Barricades uh, and fences have been erected in all main highways near the county lines. A child. For the she first time ever, life in Gunnison. Oh my gosh. For the first time ever, life in Gunnison ground to a complete halt. Hot. I'm going to send this link to you so you get these pictures. Cool, cool, cool. Decide whichever ones you want. That's fine. Motorists were instructed to either drive straight through Gunnison or submit to days long quarantine. The railroads, once the lifeblood of the county, were eventually shut down. Any person may leave the county at will. None may return, Hansen warned. Holy shit. Should I tell Ethan to start heading this way? Yes, you should. Okay, I'm going to do that. (laughs) Gunnison once filled the bustling businesses and friendly neighbors was silent and still. The people looked not to politicians for comfort, but to local Dr. Hansen and J.W. Rockefeller. Rockefeller! Rockefeller! Who were given entire charge of the county, and the physicians weren't kidding around. I don't think they're kidding around now. Same. Granted, a lot of people are treating it and not great. And the flu season is about to be upon us. It's going to so it's gonna be worse. Yes, I have things to tell you when we're done. Anyone who violated the rules of quarantine would be dealt with to the fullest extent of the law, Hansen said. And to this, we promise our personal attention. Where are these fucking descendants? It wasn't long before Hansen and Rockefeller had to put their warning to action. Sounds like an awesome band, Hansen and Rockefeller. <laughs> Residents reported two motorists and a rail passenger who were trying to avoid being quarantined. The result? Their immediate arrest. This little instance showed should show outsiders that Gunnison County stand it county's stand is Rockefeller warned, oh my gosh, this little instance should show outsiders what Rock Gunnison's county stand oh my fucking basically this instance should show other people that don't fuck around okay we're we're serious told ethan to come here and he goes fine (laughs) as the flu spread elsewhere gunnison remained on lockdown you look at it's like nowadays oh they have masks they have masks and hats (laughs) hats. the success of the enforced quarantine was touch and go each time it seemed safe to lift the ban the state would be rocked by another wave of influenza hey Oh. Mm-hmm. By 1919, Gunnison had been in quarantine for two full months, and its citizens were more than a little restless. Okay, get it? Well, we've been like we're like going on a seven months or something, but we're not we're not quarantined really, really. We're not we're not, we're not in lockdown. Correct. We yeah. were. I mean, I can't even say that we were. Ish. We. I don't think we took. We didn't take it as seriously I mean, people, as we should have. Right. Yes, we did for like two weeks. Yep. Here in America. Still, the doctors, okay, so still the doctors held on to their insistence that quarantine was for the best. It's not a pleasant or profitable undertaking, but when whole families have been wiped out, isn't it worthwhile to maintain, although it entails inconvenience, hardships, and financial loss? Rockefeller wrote, I agree. Rockefeller, where you at, though? Another newspaper gave terrified citizens some, if not uplifting, tips. You are a soldier in civil life. It's your patriotic duty to do your utmost to avoid unnecessarily exposing yourself or others to this disease. Oh my God, we're in a post article everywhere. A little carelessness everywhere. on your part may cost someone's life. People like me with type one diabetes can get infected super easily. Okay, I just got chilled prior so, to the singing, but. <laughs> and so the quarantine in Gunnison continued until early February. That is, at this point, flu cases had decreased in the state. People in Gunnison started peering out of their windows for signs of life. 
Was it safe? To go oh my out? God, there's a YouTube video of a guy who parodied the song "Hello" by Adele, mm-hmm. and it's a "Hello in Quarantine." Ooh, I should watch it. <laughs> it's hilarious. There's only one way, one way to find out. Gunness had lifted its travel and quarantine restrictions, and people left their homes for the first time in months. For the it was all for nothing. By mid-March, an unexpected wave of in- influenza hit Gunnison while its guard was down. Mm. Yep. So, guys, the Grim Reaper. Huh. The newspaper was filled with headlines shouting about the Grim Reaper. And on March 13th, hey, oh my God, one headline read simply, Flu gets us at last. But one by one, previously health, previously health Gunnison citizens were bedridden. Previously healthy. I don't know how to read That's literally the exact time that it hit us. The carnage was projected to be great. Pictures of people in beds of sickness. Delish. Although spring came to Gunnison, the carnage never did. Of all 1,300 residents, seven died. So not... Okay, that's not a terrible... Two adults... Okay. Two adults and five children. Ah! Yeah. The rest of the flu cases were mild and left Gunnison with almost all of its families intact. With an unlikely legacy. Holy shit balls. And Gunnison is now known as the town that narrowly avoided a pandemic. Looking back, their success comes down to three things. Precautions, when it seemed ne- seemed unnecessary. Patience, when it seemed impossible. And of course, plain old luck. And am I done? Are you not letting me scroll? Wait, 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 wait. Okay. Gunnison officials <laughs> forced citizens to stay indoors during the 1918 flu pandemic because they thought doing so would save lives. But what if you're told to do the opposite? The people of so oh, there's more. Do we want to keep going? Should I just be done? I mean, okay, I'm done. <laughs> that was fun. The flu things happened. I'll I'll have Nicole post if you guys want to read more. It's we'll fine. post the whole article in yeah, our yeah. show notes and everything, and put a link to it. It was ongoing, and Shauna is not a good reader. Sorry about that. But I know, but it's like the, the the similarities. I mean, I know I think we had talked about this in a previous episode right in the mm-hmm. beginning with Kelly and because she talked about like pandemics and stuff, but it wasn't, it was a different article than this I mean, one. Yeah. This one, I don't know. I don't think she got as deep into the Spanish flu, but mm-hmm. that is just unsettlingly close because literally Great. everything shut down. Like we at work, we shut down on March 18th. And the getting restless. Because things are starting to pop up around here again. Yeah. So. We were number one in our state for, no, not number one. Yeah. Yes. We were number one in our state for a while. Our county. Well, technically my county because she lives 15 minutes away. But it's our county because Dodd and Simron are super close. That is just. Bruh. (laughs) Messenger. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So anyway, the, it, if you want to read more of uh, the, the entirety of the article, because it goes into another thing that happens in France. Excuse me. Um, mm-hmm. um, by all means, read it. Uh, again, Nicole will have the link. Yep. And um, it'll be in the show notes. Sorry that I just apparently I, I also um, stupidly didn't read before. I came and did the podcast with Nicole, so I kind of had a feeling my eyes and my tongue would jump the way it did. <laughs> so sometimes I'm like that. I, I've been trying to get better about making my own notes because it just it works better. Mm-hmm. So I get it. Ethan's being very dramatic. Well, he better fucking leave. I need to be picked up. All right, so please make sure you rate and review us. Yes, on either Apple Podcast. I know there's a lot of listeners on there, so um, iTunes, uh, rate review. 
and definitely subscribe. Um, or you can go to podchaser.com. It's all in our link tree, which I have almost everywhere. That's, that's linked in our Facebook and on our Twitter, which Facebook is and Instagram are both just bloody babbles at bloody babbles podcast or the Facebook page is bloody babbles podcast. Mm -hmm. Instagram is our Twitter is at bloody babbles. Um, uh, you can, if you're feeling so inclined, you can donate to us through Anchor, um, which at the end of every show notes, it says support this podcast through Anchor, or we do have our patreon.com slash bloody babbles podcast. If you are feeling so inclined, because we have so many exciting things like, oh, we've been talking about futures a whole lot. I'm so excited. Yeah. And looking into being able to maybe eventually make our own futures. My cousin keeps making amazing freaking designs in her college class. You guys, if you follow Thank us you, everywhere, um, any, everywhere and anywhere, I posted on all three platforms. Um, anytime she does art or my friend Gisela did a really cool one too. We're going to get that on t-shirt socks. Uh, I'm really excited for lanyards. Um, then, um, also, you know, um, our intro music's fantasy and world music by the Fichters. We, plug them every time because they have more than just crazy creepy music and it's hours like each video is like eight to ten hours of music nice that these brothers conduct um it's fantastic so um i don't think there's yeah rate and review rate and review rate and review hey did you go rate and review because it'd be wonderful if you did oh send us an email at our gmail bloody babbles podcast at gmail.com tell us tell us if um, your crazy pandemic stories. What yes. what's what's quarantine been like for you? Yes. Do you know about this crazy Amy Bishop bitch? How does that work when you actually listen to scientists and what actually goes on in the <sighs> world and how this pandemic could be, you know, maybe eradicated? Yeah. Sorry. No. We would love to get, yeah, more interaction for sure. Like I've been I anything like commenting on Instagram, commenting on Facebook, tweeting us, messaging us, emailing us. Um, just wow, it just it I can't wait to interact with you guys more. I absolutely love every single one of you that puts us in your ear holes. Yes. Every time I get so excited, every time I post or, or the, I schedule the episodes out after I edit them together on uh, Tuesdays. And then as soon as it's posted, I, um, I always like to go and see, and there's always two, two listeners that listen immediately. I love it. Thank and then, you. And usually by the end of the day, we have 20 plays and that just like, a majority of our episodes are it's 60 or 70 plays or more. And that's crazy. You guys like I, Oh, I was talking about um, in the last episode about the basic, a basic podcast name that I can't, it's basic murder bitches. No, I love it. Basic murder bitches. No, I could go look them up. Could go, should go. Could go, should go <laughs> for sure. But they, like I said, they just hit their year and, um, not that long ago, and they have, they're like, we have over 12,000, 12,000, 12,000 plays, like, we're coming up on 3,000 right now, and I think that's just crazy for not even being six months into this yet, like, our six-month birthday is December 1st, but we'll have, um, yeah, but we're gonna have a, we may have some double episodes coming up, um, an extra one on a Friday or two this month, and definitely um, a Patreon episode is going up this month, if I, we can get to, that's my goal. We're going to try and record some um, episodes ahead of time. So if you end up being a new country or a, another state and it's like delayed, um, that's why. Because sometimes we like to record ahead so I can get research done. So Shauna can come up with rabbit holes uh, so we can live, you know, our lives outside of this podcast. <laughs> Granted, I absolutely love this podcast and it consumes a lot of my time. Yeah. So, but um, 
I just love every single one of you guys. You guys are, oh, you guys are the bees knees. You guys are the universal titties. Like, universal titties. And <laughs> if there's any artists out there who want to try and draw some universal titties, please fucking do it. What was the other one? The, um, uh, I don't know. What about the penis? Come on. Oh, no. There was, oh, gosh. Shauna sent me some picture. <laughs> Oh, pause for the cause. I know, right? Oh, goodness. Is it that fat dick spirit? Yes! Fat dick spirit! <laughs> there was some, some post I shared on my memories. And Jatana was like, this can go hand in hand with our universal titties. <laughs> my mom was trying to say big dick energy, but she couldn't remember it. And she goes, is that fat dick spirit? <laughs> that was um, at Polycat on Twitter. Um, that was in 2018 when she tweeted that at 11, 11 p.m., no less. So it's fabulous. We love you. <laughs> oh, my friend was listening to our first episode. Oh, we love you too. That was that recording was rough. <laughs> hey, but it's your first. It's I okay. know. I still like talking about the third episode, but I left out an entire chunk of the whole episode and I had to resubmit it, Whoopsie. which I almost did the other day and it was fine. I was like, wow, that's a whole twenty-nine minutes. I'm like, why is it so short? Oh, bless it. All right, guys. Well, I'm like I said, uh, go check out our friends. We have some extra promos in this episode. Um, until next time, guys. Babylon. Babylon.